This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. And you may notice that this is not our normal Tuesday episode drop. I am going to drop an extra episode this week on Thursday, February 14th, in honor of Black History Month. Earlier this week, I was a guest on uh, Black Radical Queer with host Javia Nicole and my partner in pod in this main hustle media journey. We got together to talk about the Black women in our lives that have had a profound effect on us and kind of molded and shaped who we are as Black women and Black queer women. And uh, I just thought I would share it with my militantly mixed audience as well for a couple reasons. One, you'll get exposure to another show that's on the Main Hustle Media Network and show your support across all of our platforms. Um, and two, you know, you do learn a little bit more about me because I do talk a little bit about myself and um, and my friendship with Javia and our partnership as Main Hustle Media uh, family members, I guess. I don't know how we're, we're really calling it yet. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it and you'll support her show in addition to this show. And um, I just jumped on here just to give you a little intro of what's happening because this is a full and complete episode of Black Radical Queer. It is not a co-militantly mixed and Black Radical Queer episode. This is entirely Javia's um, plan and execution and I was just there as a guest. So sit back, relax, enjoy yourself and if you would like to listen to more Black Radical Queer episodes after you hear this, we are also on all podcasting platforms just like Militantly Mixed, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. Uh, we've recently, both of us have applied for iHeartRadio, but we haven't received those notifications yet, but hopefully that'll come soon. I, I think both of us are on YouTube as well. So whatever way you're trying to get your podcast, we are on there. Uh, so check out Black Radical Queer after you get to hear this episode. And that's it, y'all. Peace. It sounds like one of the names they would have for a monarch. It's like Queen Javier the First, Black Radical Queer, Unfair Negro Women. All the way from the A, you listen to my favorite lesbian on BRQ. Hey, stay locked in with your favorite lesbian on Black Radical Queer. Yeah. Hey y'all, this is Javi Nicole, aka your favorite lesbian, and you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Hey y'all, this is Javi Nicole. Welcome to another episode of Black Radical Queer Podcast. Today, I have a guest with me who I should just introduce, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let her introduce herself just like I do with everybody else, <laughs> and then we can get into our uh, conversation. Uh, I am Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. I am the producer of Black Radical Queer and the host and co-host of Militantly Mixed and Blurred Comics. I was about to say Black Radical Queer. Uh, Blurred Comics. And <laughs> uh, we are Main Hustle Media, all of us. So, <laughs> And I sound like a bridge troll because I got a cold. So sorry. Uh, it happens. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to be over the, the germs. Yeah, uh, Courtney had brought her home some germs from when she worked in the school. 
when the teachers were on strike. So uh, good times. So all of us up in here got sick. I was like, yeah. kind of mutant germs. These you know, kids got um, all bad. <laughs> so um, I wanted to have Charmaine on with me because, of course, it's Black History Month. And I want to have an opportunity to first to talk about folks who have black folks <laughs> who have impacted us in some sort of way uh, in our lives, on our journey, whatever. For me, that's just one of the things that I, I reflect on during black. I mean, I reflect on all the time. Just I mean, I'm blackity black year round. But during Black History Month, Especially I think about, you know, who's impacted me because a lot of times we see the same people talked about over and over and over. And so I start thinking about uh, folks who I may not necessarily see talked about as much or whatever. So it just kind of puts me in a contemplative headspace. So I want to join me so we can really just talk about folks who have had some type of impact on our lives. And that's kind of like one of our topics when we just regular ass talk too. just like what black person made us happy today. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, I'm always always talking about black folks. So (laughs) so that's kind of how that goes. But for me, uh, when I think about who has impacted me um, and I won't I can't say that I'm going to go in a in an order of priority or anything like that, except for with this first person, with this first person, I have to say. Um, they had a huge impact on me. Um, and it's the first person that comes to mind. Uh, and I would definitely say for me, Audre Lord, um, just because I mean, black queer magic, uh, for one, mm. but I just remember being about 14 and it really was, well, it was Audre Lord, but it was kind of like Audre Lord through, uh, this woman named Mary Ann Adams, who is the founder of Zami Nobla in Atlanta, which is like, it's an organization for, um, aging lesbian women and they just do all kind of dope shit. And so when I was like 14 or 15, I was looking for something, somewhere to go. I'm just like, look, I am a black queer girl and I just want to connect with my folks. Like where are the black queer folks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had no idea. So I did some research and um, just looking for organizations, groups somewhere. I'm like, where where the hell can I go? And I stumbled upon Zami Nobla. And um, I just remember looking at it. At the time, I didn't know it was for like older women. So I was just like, oh, <laughs> get it where okay, you can black, get it, though. <laughs> right. Like black lesbian situation. I'm going. So I looked them up and I took my young ass down there and the um, the founder was amazing um, and she gave me some resources and she um, she just really embraced me and was kind of like, you know, you're the next generation of, you know, kind of black queer magic, you know, and um, it just meant a lot for me. But she introduced me to Audre Lorde. Um, by because I asked her about the name of the organization. And then she was saying um, there's a book by Audre Lorde called and I, I I never know actually if it's pronounced Zami or Zami. I always say Zami, but I'm mm. country. So I could be wrong. It might be Zami. <laughs> I've said it both ways before. So it might be like Zami or Zami. Look, don't judge me. OK, my heart is in the right place. Um, <laughs> I'm just country as hell. So I don't know. However, uh, so Zami, um, she she told me about the book Zami, which is like uh, Audre Lorde's book. It's like Zami, a new spelling of my name, I think is the full title. I should know it by heart. I got the book <laughs> like it's probably behind me. It is. Um, it's a new spelling of my name, <laughs> um, spelling of my name. And um, so she so she like, you know, told me about that. And I was like, OK, cool. And um, she gave me a copy of the book to borrow. And it just was a game changer for me. And so later on, like when I was grown. 
I ended up buying the book. I went to Bus Boys and Poets in D.C. and ended up buying a copy of the book because I wanted to specifically get it from there and get it from like a black owned blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it just but reading that just gave me a lot of hope as like a young black lesbian, as well as as a writer. And I felt like. It was just the first time I felt really connected to someone who was also black and queer. And I just felt some things I felt my I felt like I could see myself in certain things, even though, you know, we had the generational differences. I still felt like the the emotion or just kind of the core of things that she would express about herself and her identity really resonated with me. So Mm. that's, you know, my first person (laughs) that I that I'll mention. All right. I do have a a list that I've been kind of working through of uh, regular ass people in my life. And then but since you mentioned a popular figure, I'll start with my popular figure. And then my next ones, I'll go into people in my actual life. Uh, Yeah, that's that's what I plan to do. Okay, I plan to like, let me talk about the (laughs) more that I mean, you know my regular folks too. Right. So for me, and even though she probably does get brought up often, um, but maybe, maybe not often enough for my taste, my black woman that had the most impact on, on sort of my militancy would be Angela Davis. And, and I have a funny story, which I have told on a couple of shows before. So I don't know how many times it's actually made it into militantly mix or whatever, but I had a poster of Angela Davis on my wall when I was younger. And I think when I was younger, what resonated with me was that she was so light skinned and hella black and I was light skinned and hella black. And so and then she was just so dynamic, but also somehow mild mannered when she spoke, even though she spoke with so much like fierceness. And and so and this is also I'm growing up like even into my teenage years, pre-internet and everything like that. So it wasn't easy to get footage of her often. But if it came on something. And honestly, like my first inter- my first access to video of her was like um, PBS, some documentary or some shit like that, whatever, you know. Uh, so it was little things here and there that I would get a chance to see. And and so and um, I, I had a poster of her on my wall and everything like that. And she was just someone that I was like, I felt like I could understand a person that was willing to break laws with good intention. And um, and for like, you know, for like a greater good type of situation, I understood that. And it also played into my my interest in comics of that kind of sense of justice of like sometimes you got to overthrow the establishment to make things right. And so she was someone that always like everything that I could get on her, if it was like a a book on tape or um, some kind of bootleg recording that somebody had, I would you know, I was just like gobbling up stuff about her. So when I went to. I went to UC Santa Cruz for my bachelor's. And at the time that I started there, I did not know she was a professor emeritus there. And I had this class that I used to go to. My class was poor taste cinema. And in that class, we studied black exploitation. We, sp- we studied um, the oh, Roger, Roger Eber and um, oh, shit. What's that guy's name? There used to be these movies in the 70s that were like these big titty white movies or whatever that were really trashy. Um, that that were really popular in the 70s or whatever. So everything that was in this particular class was like exploitation type films, regardless of whether it was race exploitation or whatever. And, and it was a big stadium seat classroom and like 600 seats in this classroom. And But I would get there early because my other class let out early and I would get there. And the woman that was teaching in that classroom before my class, there was just something about her. And I was just drawn to her and gravitated to her. And then I started to notice how familiar she looked, but I couldn't place her. I kept saying like, she looks like someone who I knew when she was younger. 
And so I'm like scanning my Rolodex thinking she's someone I know in real life because I went to school in the Bay Area. And even though I grew up half in Northern California, half in Southern California, depending on which parent I lived in, my my Northern California span was like Sacramento, Oakland, San Francisco. We were there all the time. So I thought she's probably someone that's in my mom's circle. And my mom did, was a hairstylist and stuff like that. So I was like, maybe she was someone my mom used to do her hair or whatever. And it was months and months. And this woman was so dynamic. And I just like, I sometimes I'd rush to get to class early just so I could, I could sit in the back of her classroom and listen. And it was really like, like a socialist type of thing. There was like a lot of liberalism and and um, ways to improve government and stuff like that. I still not clicking. Don't know what was wrong with me back then. Um, and then one day she's walking up the stairs, leaving the class and we, we make eye contact. And I'm almost about to say to her that I think I know you, but I don't know how. But I chicken out. I don't know why I chicken out and I sit down, but she acknowledges me. She like smiles and nods kind of like, you know, she's seen me sneaking in her class the last few uh, weeks or whatever. And so I sit down, I don't say anything to her. And at that same day, my teacher said, is trying to teach us something about setting a scene or whatever, because I went to film school. And he's like, so, okay, let's say this classroom is a scene. You got the teacher, the podium up front. You got the students milling around. You got this guy asleep in the front row and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, you got the Angela Davis writing on the wall. And my whole world just collapsed inside of itself. Because <laughs> like, then it all made sense what she was teaching, who she was. Her face was an older version of a face that I knew as a younger woman because I had her younger woman picture on my wall when I was a teenager, just all kinds of things. And 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 after that, like it, it made a little bit more sense who she was. And when I would sneak into her class early, she never never bothered her that I did it. It was always obvious that I did it because I opened the door and it was a really loud door. She never, you know, she it was she was never bothered by by my presence or, or me sneaking in or anything like that. And um, but in terms of her impact on my life, it was just that watching her whatever I could when I was younger, whatever video footage I can get of her, whatever article of hers I could read. She was teaching me that it was OK to disagree with the government, that it was OK to fight for what just seems like basic human decency and things like that. Mm -hmm. And being, uh, it, it is important to me for some reason that she is a lighter skinned woman who was still super blackety black because it made me feel like I wasn't so out of place in my sort of racial ambiguous blackness to be able to be black as, as fuck and not have anybody be like, you know, you can't do that. And I'll be like, well, Angela Davis and I are about the same color. So <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I mean, I think because Angela Davis is on my list, too. But, um, you know, I think the thing, too, with Angela, I mean, she is, you know, very unapologetically black, which is why she's on my list. And she's very uh, feminine, uh, too. Not like I don't mean like girly girl or whatever. I don't you know, know her like that, but just her presence, I feel like represented this very powerful, um, pro-black yeah. feminine person, um, who very much like was confident in her femininity and, um, didn't, you know, necessarily play it up or down, but just being herself. Yeah. And for me, that was very powerful because we see so many images of, um, especially when it comes to like the Black Panther Party and just pro-blackness in general and civil rights in general and all that. So many images and stories revolve around men and masculine people that um, it was just refreshing for me as a young woman learning more about myself, learning more about my people 
and kind of coming into my radical self, it was very refreshing to see that. And so um, I, when I was in college, I'm pretty sure it was college. I met her and I'm trying to remember, was, that, was it college or was it high school? No, it was college um, when I met her. And she, she came to Atlanta to do some type of, I don't even remember what it was. I think it had to do with, uh, I think just give a, a speech or something. And I think it may have been for a book. Well, no, I don't know. She did sign some books, but it may have just been older books. <laughs> but I know she came to specifically to do to speak at um, Ebenezer Baptist Church. So I was like, Angela's going to be here. I don't even know all the details of what's happening, but I'm going to be there. Like all I knew was a date, a location and that she was going to be there. I didn't know what the subject was. I didn't even care. I'm just like, I'm going. So I go to go listen to her speak. And um, I don't know. I just was like captivated. It's just awesome to me to hear someone who is so very passionate about what they do and what they believe and um, just bold feminine, pro-black, unapologetic. Um, what I love about uh, her style of speaking is that she's talking to you like, you know, this is correct, right? Like, it's just, we just, you just know this. It's, you have to acknowledge it now. <laughs> and it's just, and, it, and it's one of those things where, I don't know, it's like, she's so mild, but at the same time, you feel like she just got a flaming sword of justice flying over her head, you know? Very, um she has a very strong presence without being loud, but she's definitely, you know, passionate, straightforward. Um, yeah. And it was really cool. It was very cool and encouraging to meet her and to have her. Um, I mean, I was one of the younger people there. I mean, most of the people in attendance were uh, were older. And so she was, you know, very pleased to see, you know, that there were a few young folks there. And so she was very encouraging and very um, that that just seemed to, you know, make her happy because she was just like, you know, you, you know, who I am. And I'm like, uh, duh. You know? <laughs> I'm like, yes. Uh, are you going to sign this for me? But yeah. Uh, so that was That's awesome. She definitely um, in terms of when I think about my uh, my radical self, she is one of those people who comes to mind that definitely impacted me as other people, too, for sure. But um, she just. Uh, kind of showed me what this very radical pro- pro-black, uh, like feminine presence, I guess, looked like. So, yeah, Angela Davis is definitely on my list. Um, also, other people who really impacted, I, I won't go into anything like long drawn out, but some of the other like known people who impacted me, I can say like as a radical person would definitely be Marsha P. Johnson, um, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, Definitely Nina Simone. Like there are a lot of um, and a lot of black women or black femmes, black, you know, all of that who really kind of informed what my what it means and looks like for me to be radical. Um, Kimberly Crenshaw, uh, Moya Bailey, like I'm just it's, you know, a lot of folks who I just feel like their thought processes made me expand my thought processes and made or it. Or they were able to articulate things I was feeling that I didn't know how to put words to. So um, they've, you know, definitely impacted me, too. I would throw probably Shirley Chisholm in there also. Yeah, I was thinking about her, too. Like, once you start naming names, you're like, oh, and then this woman and then this woman. And it's like. Shirley a G. Oh, my gosh. Shirley the the, uh, the Dawn. (laughs) Right. She came in here. She just was not taking it. She wasn't suffering any kind of fools ever. I love it. I I love that kind of demeanor. Um, Something that I love about her is her demeanor and how she's very like her demeanor is very badass. 
um, similar to Maxine. Um, but, you know, that kind of just like I said what I said, you know, kind of <laughs> like I said what the hell I said. Sit your head down. She's like, um, you don't got a chair for me. I will drag my own chair in the room and we are going to deal with it. Just that cocky. It's it's kind of like cocky. I've been saying, um, especially more lately, I'm like, oh, I love when I love black women doing cocky ass shit. Mm. Like, just do that. Being bold and being um, taking up space um, in a in a major way. I'm so here for it. So I love that. Um, same thing with Fannie Lou Hamer, just like just shutting it down. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm just like these these women just I can't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- it's funny, too, because there's I've, I've gotten to the habit now of writing down the quotes or having the quotes just in my in my eye shot. So mm-hmm. so that I know, you know, like it just just pushing it back up. So I have these little white whiteboard things that are built into the desk setup that I have. And on one of it, I got my be your mixed ass self because that's that's kind of how I'm ending my show now. I have ain't no such thing as halfway crooks because that's just telling me, like, don't do this shit halfway. Just get out there. Blah, blah, blah. And then I got my sick and tired of being sick and tired because I mean, how brilliant is that as a thing to just be like, this shit is beyond and I am just sick of it. You know, like it's one of those it's one of those quotes. Um, and I, I ordered but don't have yet uh, something with uh, Shirley Chisholm's unbossed and unbought. So um, and that's going to be <laughs> yeah, added to my it. collection. And it's just like constant reminders of being a woman that is not here to stand in the back like right no and not under anybody shit. else's control it's like i run me i run yeah. my own shit you know that kind of thing is just um i love it i ca- like i'm just so here for it <laughs> yeah i mean um, anything that's trying to get as a barrier to me as a as a woman of color as a mixed woman as a pro-black mixed woman as a bisexual polyamorous woman as an atheist like anything that's trying to block that I'm just I'm just not taking it anymore. (laughs) That's how I feel right now. (laughs) I mean, I think it's um, for me, I like having all these different examples of uh, what it means to be unapologetic. I used Mm -hmm. to be a very apologetic person just and I think that looking back on it, I was really apologizing for taking up space. I try to make myself as small as possible. I'm not a small woman. I ain't never been small. So even when I was slimmer, um, even when I was younger, I was this. I've been the same height since like fourth or fifth grade. I'm five seven. (laughs) So as a fourth or fifth grader, I mean, I was taller than some of my teachers, you know, so um, I've taken up space. I take up space. So I, I spent so much time trying to make myself smaller. And so it really having these examples of these, you know, of these folks who, um, um, didn't do that, who took up as much space as they needed to um, and were unapologetic about it and knowing that they had to go through a process too, you know, to get to that place. But that was and is very important to me as someone who used to try her best to um, ball herself up and like shrink myself type of thing. I don't mm. do it anymore. I have, I, I mean, the game has changed. <laughs> when I was a child, I yeah. acted as a child, but I ain't a child no damn more. Um, so yeah, I, I don't do that anymore, but it was, I needed to see that. I needed to see examples of that so that I knew yeah. that, um, there was some kind of different possibility for me. But um, but another thing, like, you know, outside of folks who were, I guess, like known names and stuff like that, there have just been people. Um, I mean, well, my life revolves around black folks. I mean, 
Black folks influence, you know, my life so heavily, but they're definitely just kind of, I guess, regular everyday people who have um, impacted me as well. And who, when I think about kind of my my black radical queer history, uh, like my personal history, who are those people who, you know, left their mark and, um, you know, who really had some who really had a big impact. I know um, one woman, she which she's kind of in the like she's known by people. I mean, she was uh, she was part of like civil rights movement and stuff like that. But for me, she was someone who was a part of my life. So I, I don't necessarily put her in the same category as like Angela Davis or something, even though those are her contemporaries. But Ruby Sales, um, I did like a fellowship with Ruby Sales. And she is um, a black woman who is a lesbian, who um, has done all types of civil rights work. And I learned so much from her about social justice and oppression and um, just being actively engaged in social justice issues. Um, I learned about liberation theology from her, just all kinds of stuff. It has been it was crazy. My fellowship with her, um, she has an organization called Spirit House. And I did a, a about, was it a year? I don't remember how long, but I did a fellowship in between me doing undergrad and grad school. I did a fellowship with her and it turned my world upside down. It rocked my damn world. There were so many things I didn't know about black history. And um, so, I mean, we were in that, we were in that mug, like falling apart. <laughs> like we were just like, everything we know is a lie. You know? <laughs> It was just a mess. I mean, like crying, like I, I can joke about it now, but at the time the shit was not a game. Like, I mean, bawling, just finding out information we didn't know that she, you know, helped facilitate us, you know, acquiring all this knowledge about our history. And we'll be in that. We will be in, up in there crying. I mean, like sleepless nights, just crazy. It was just crazy. And I was never the same. I was like, I can't, I can't ever, I was already like in the early stages of my radicalism or whatever, but that right there was a game changer. After that, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like, as I've started saying, I'm like, y'all got me and my ancestors fucked up. I'm not here for it. So <laughs> that just kind of, uh, at, at that point, I'm like, okay, so it's a wrap. Um, fuck all of this. Like, ain't no, you know, being quiet, not taking up space. Like, I'm shutting it all down. <laughs> so that was really like a game changer for me. Nice. Uh, for me, in terms of people in my real life, uh, and like you said, no particular order, just kind of thinking it through. I had this, uh, there was a period of time when I was growing up in the church, even though I was an atheist the entire time. And, uh, I had I had an abusive situation with my father. Like my father went from drug dealer daddy to crazy born again, hardcore involved in the church, like the same level that of energy he put into addiction, he put into into being a born again or whatever. And he also got like way more abusive after this stuff or whatever. But the church that we went through at the time was called Artesian Well in Long Beach or it was in Compton. I don't remember if we crossed the border to to go actually because I was young. But uh, the pastor and his wife, Pastor Norman and Mrs. Norman, she used to take the girls that were kind of coming into teenage dumb or whatever um, aside uh, on occasion and and sort of give us the paying attention days. I don't know how else to describe them. It was like at first she would kind of do it in groups. You know, it was sort of apart from Bible study or whatever. It was just sort of like a handful of the girls are about 11, 12, 13. 
and she'd have just sort of a nice day, like a nice meal, a, you know, a fancier meal than we would be accustomed to where we grew up or, you know, something like that. Uh, a day where we just got to sit around and talk to her and she listened and she acknowledged us. And it seemed, it doesn't, it may not seem like a very big um, gesture or whatever, but I remember I had such a, I was so miserable living with my father and I had such a terrible relationship with both him and my stepmom that there wasn't a, a lot of places where I felt full safety. And in Mrs. Norman's house or or just those times when she'd pull us aside at church or at least like after a sermon or whatever, if we went over to her and she spent time with us, she just talk to us like we were important and that we mattered. And she she would compliment the things that you weren't used to getting complimented on, you know, um, uh, whether it was just like, it's hard to really get into how it was. I, it's not like I have specific memories of things that she would say, but just that she paid attention. And that was such a rare thing. You know, we were so easily disregarded as little hood kids, you know, little ghetto kids or whatever. Um, people didn't take us seriously very often. And she would do a few things that weren't necessarily something that I would I would support now. Like she'd do these kind of elocution lessons with us, the girls, um, anything like, you know, cross your, your feet at the ankles and things like that. She would do stuff like that to make us respectable girls, um, which I don't particularly care for. But there was, but it was the paying attention to us and the listening to us and making eye contact with us when we when we did the when we had those special days. But for me, and I'm sure she did this with other girls, but I wasn't aware of it. So it felt very special to me is that there were times when she would pick me up or have my parents drop me off at the church and she, we would spend a day together. And and there was one particular day where we had breakfast together. We went to her house. We had a nice long chat and everything like that. She held my hand while we talked because I told her a little bit about what was going on with my dad. But in the same way of a lot of different um, church situations, they they just kind of disregard um, some of the abuse that you receive as just sort of an okay thing. But she listened and she told me that it was okay for me to feel that way. Her husband, my the pastor, was a police officer. I don't know why that never escalated, but whatever, that was what it was. Uh, but at the end of the day, she went through her closet and she gave me one of her really nice coats. And she had done this like once a year, she would give somebody a nice coat, but the, the, this year it was my turn. And I felt adult for the first time. Like I felt taken seriously as an adult for the first time. And it was one of those things where it's not like a huge groundbreaking, shattering type of thing. But for a, for, for a whole day or whenever I got a chance to spend with Mrs. Norman, she made me feel like I was important, that I was worth listening to. And then she gave me my first adult coat, which I got to wear, <laughs> you know, like. It's kind of a I rite of passage. Those smaller things that, or things that may seem, um, I don't want to say smaller, but like kind of more day to day things or something that may seem a little more mundane can have some of the biggest impact um, yeah. on you. You know, yeah. it, it, no matter if it's just like a small gesture or something like that. Some of the people who had the biggest impact on me. It was from small things, you know, yeah. it was just like um, from them acknowledging something like, you know, similar to what you mentioned. Um, it's, um, you know, being seen something that um, actually that Courtney brought up to me recently is about um, and it was in regards to like her career or whatever. But she mentioned about feeling seen. And um, so I've been thinking about that a lot mm. because visibility is so important. And for me and a lot of things that I do like the podcast, but even when I was modeling and all that, I my motivation and when I was doing photography, my motivation was visibility, um, increasing visibility. When I did photography, I wanted to show 
my goal was a black woman through the eyes of a black woman. I didn't want it to be through, you know, the male gaze or anything like that. I wanted it to be through, you know, from my perspective as a black woman, woman viewing black women as subjects and not objects. And um, and then with the modeling thing, it was just, hey, I'm a plus size woman, you know, kind of. So the things that I do have it's been about me trying to create that visibility that I crave because I'm like, if I'm not, if I'm wanting these things, I know I'm not the only one. And because I think being seen is so yeah. important. And so people who I uh, say all that to say people who like make you feel seen, who make you feel visible, um, it may be something small that they do, but it have such a big impact on you. Um, they may not even know, you know, they may just like, oh, I'm just doing something. Right. right. Like uh, she, she may not even remember. Regular. Right. I think about that too. I'm just like, oh, this person probably doesn't even remember this, but, um, it may, I mean, those small things do make a difference. I mean, for me, definitely one of the folks I will have to, I have to have on the list is my mother. Um, because my mother to me is, she's like kind of what I perceive as like the quintessential strong black woman. I mean, growing up, I thought my mom was, I don't know. I, I didn't understand how she was able to do all the things she did. Like it really perplexed me. Like I was just like, how <laughs> she does all the things um, she works all the time, but still is very present for us and um, very nurturing of us as individuals, my sister and I. And um, I just she amazed me. I, it amazed me, her capacity for compassion and for um, growth. It, I mean, I, the just the things that she did. I didn't see my friend's parents doing. My mother apologized to us. If she made a mistake, she apologized. And it's such a simple thing that I didn't, my friend's parents didn't do. They're just like, I'm the adult, you're the child. So yeah. I'm right and you're wrong. Versus with my mom, you know, if she would make a mistake, she'd be like, you know, hey, I made a mistake. I'm, I apologize or something like that. So you told a story me. about that on one of your episodes. And I remember well, I told, when I talk, told my coming out story, I mentioned that she apologized to me for how she responded to uh, me coming out. Yeah. Um, she she like circled back to me and apologized. And then uh, when I had the episode with links on, we talked about like um, each of our mothers, how they kind of did that apology thing. It was kind of in reference to the same thing about, mm -hmm. you know, coming out and um, them apologizing. Um, but the other thing, too, is she's very passionate about the things that she believes in. And she planted the seeds for my radical self <laughs> because she's very active in like social justice causes. She was always someone who wanted to to help people. Um, you know, it's not like, we, I mean, we were poor, but we um, would always like give back and, you know, donate stuff and feed the homeless and, you know, do all this, these kind of things. And um, no matter how much we were struggling, my mom always made giving back and helping other people priority. Always. I can't remember a time where she wasn't, you know, trying to help somebody. I mean, I remember times where we would be, you know, my sister and I would eat. I would look at my mom. My mom would not eat. But yet she's trying to help somebody else. Like she's taking people in, you know, all kind of stuff. So she really she showed me radical compassion, mm -hmm. um, radical empathy and also just straight up um, social, like being socially radical and being very against, you know, like uh, being you know, politically aware and all that other kind of stuff, too. But she just to me, she brought it more. She brought it close to home because she was my mom. So she showed me kind of what radicalism looks like on a day to day basis, what it looks like um, as you're kind of just navigating your regular life, not just politically, but in how you treat other people. Definitely the, with compassion and empathy. I think those things being radical tools was a concept I would never have even fathomed if it wasn't for her and just me watching how she treated people and navigated the world. So definitely mama. <laughs>
Yeah, I remember like when I was listening to or I guess it was probably when I was editing it when you're talking about your mom circling back to apologize to you about the about how she handled your coming out. And I just remember sitting there kind of like I was way emo. <laughs> I was really emotional listening to it because it just seems like such an uh, no, it never happened. You do not get that kind of apology from people. Um, and to be able to notice that improve upon it and come back and try to correct it down the road. Like, I think that's, I think that's amazing. So it's it's nice to hear that you had um, a mother that did that actively, not just in that respect, but in like your everyday life, I guess, as well too, for little things. Yeah, I I definitely am very appreciative. Like, I I feel like that had a huge impact on just the person I am today and how I view apology. I think that she showed me what it looked like to be um, radically compassionate and all that. But I mean, so it, it made me view, it didn't make me view apologizing as a weak thing, which I really appreciate. I still had to do some learning because I feel like I was still to an extent overly apologetic, but I think that just tied into the me trying to shrink myself and me trying not to take up too much space, which I think tied into just a history of trauma. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think that had anything to do with, you know, my mom apologizing. I think she showed me um, that humanity. Like sometimes I feel like people dehumanize children, like and my mom, my mom didn't do that. So she was like, yes, I'm an adult. Yes, your children. Yes, I'm your mother. However, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> you know? Yeah, something that's so beautiful. Uh, something so simple that parents do not do because they, they're just like, well, I'm the parent. You accept whatever the hell I throw your way. And that just was not the move. Um, yeah. So she definitely has had a major impact, her and my grandmother. Um, just and it, it, similar with her, like just that radical compassion always taking people in, always being like a safe space for people, like the safe haven. And um, I recognize that I do try to do that. And that's probably why I'm in the field that I'm in. But um, Mm. to me that, you know, it's like showing the nuances of radicalism, because I think that people, when they hear the word radical, they attach it to politics and it is politics. But like I say, the personal is political political as well. So it's about how you personally navigate through your life, too. And so that's why When I say radical, I don't just mean like I'm radical in terms of going against, you know, these oppressive systems. Yeah, but also radical in terms of empathy and love and compassion and um, self-care and all that kind of stuff. And I think that it can apply across the board, uh, just being true to yourself and being unapologetic. Yeah. And that's something that you kind of taught me, which sort of segues into my my next person. You you say things like that about how you know, living your everyday life is radical. You know, you and your wife walking down the street as a, you know, out in the world couple is radical, you know, working at your jobs and not being apologetic about your position or anything like that is radical. And hearing you talk about this over, you know, the last almost year or so that we've been doing the shows, I started to to pay attention more to that because that wasn't a concept I never I ever really thought about. Like, you know, I think you and I did attach, you know, through the the group that we met and stuff like that, because we have a very so similar mentality when it comes to, you know, I, my usage of the word militant and the, your usage of the word radical tend to be very you know similar. And, you know, it's no accident that our two main shows that we do are, you know, with this idea in mind. But hearing you talk about how regular everyday life stuff is radical, given that, you know, we're not always welcome at the table. Sometimes we do got to beat a door down. Even in 2019, you're still getting somebody trying to take up the space that you should be occupying and stuff like that. So I I do appreciate hearing that perspective from you because it really did make me pay attention a little bit more. 
And why I said that segues, and you can you can be mad at me if you want, but I don't care. You are one of my black women on my list, and not just because we work on these shows together or anything like that, and uh, and not because this is your show, but seriously. And I have talked to you about it before, even offline, where I where I was like. I can't talk to you voice to voice right now. I need to send it to you in text because I'll get too emotional. I don't like to get emotional in front of people. I've sent a message like that to you before. But the impact that you've had on my life in just the time that we've been working on these shows together, like your acceptance of me as a black woman through my mixedness and and sort of understanding that, you know, my intersectional blackness is a thing. Um that you have forced me to stop being apologetic in the places where I do, you know, oh, sorry, you know, like I'm mixed, but you know, you're the one who have stopped me doing that a bunch of times since we, since we've met when I was trying to form my company name and I was unsure about what I was doing. You stopped me and told me to just live my black ass life and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of things that you've either said or done to me that has stopped me dead in my tracks, kind of like Caesar Milan with a dog. You're just like, uh, and then I got to stop and reform my whole perspective or not like my whole dog, Jesus. Hey, no, but see, I love this. You don't understand. Caesar Milan, when he would go, so Caesar, listen, <laughs> my sister-in-law got, because uh, we, we have a dog. And so she had me and my wife watching damn Caesar Milan. Okay. So I love know it. who he is, but it's just so funny that that is the comparison. That, well, see, this is why I say it because um, when I used to be like obsessively watching Caesar Milan and I've, I've not owned a dog or anything like that, but I have used his method. <laughs> on people so often and it fucking works oh, but he does that thing where you just like you stop them in their moment and then they gotta stop and think and so like he does that shit kind of thing right where he kind of like puts his little hands in their neck <laughs> i used to do that with my nephews and shit and that fucking stuff works but i started doing it at work with white people like you know like they would you know they'd say something inappropriate or whatever and i'm like shit and then i'd kind of get back into explaining to them what they just did was wrong and try to try to recorrect try to correct their behavior and stuff like that and so yeah it's kind of a weird way of saying it or whatever but like i you stop me in a way where you don't let me finish that doubt you don't let me finish that apologetic blackness that i that i have sometimes as a mixed black person and you'll you'll just stop me dead in my tracks and you'll be like black woman be black. Shut up. Yeah, because ain't no ain't no room for that. Right. And you like you more than and I'm not I'm not blowing smoke or anything like that. You more than any other person in my life has done that. A lot of people will be like, I appreciate your blackness, but like you're mixed. You have never once done that to me. And and more than that, but like I think too, probably because I'm coming from a different perspective. Like I, you know, uh, like, I, I mean, I've said this to you before and I've said it on my show before. So folks already know. But I mean, when I look at myself and I say black radical queer, I mean, I say the black first for a reason. And um, and so it's like I do see you as black first because you're not white passing. You're not, you know, what I'm saying like you can't yeah. you didn't live with that kind of privilege. You know, your experience of that, even with there being differences, not saying, oh, well, our experience was all the same because we know we're not a damn monolith, right. but you don't move through the world like you're white. <laughs> so, right. I mean, so they're just the, it's like you're going to see it. it's like, you know, we, we are conspicuously colored people. Yeah. Um, so that's I mean, it's no way to hide it. And so I do feel like um, so I do see that first. And I feel like it's um, it's OK for us. I mean, we're so we're uh, taught. We're kind of like indoctrinated to to push it back and be like. Oh, well, but I'm this, but I'm a woman, but I'm this. like, like other things. 
I'm like, it's better for us to put other things before the blackness. And I'm just like, no, motherfucker. No, like, it's really not. <laughs> this is what it is. So that's why when you say, if you say like, oh, I can't do this or I'm not sure if I should do that. And I'm just like, it's nipping it in the bud, not to be like, not to silence, but to just be like, nah. Like, yeah, I never get that you're trying up, to shut me down. You you're know, trying you to the stop the bad behavior. You, <laughs> take, you could take the space that's rightfully yours. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's my thing. I'm like, there's there's space for you that, I mean, we're owed some fucking reparations, first of all. So it's plenty of space, yeah. okay, that we are owed. So we should just take the shit. So it's like, take the space that, you know, we, we shouldn't have to do all these things to kind of make ourselves be as small as possible. And that's what that stuff boils down to when we're like, oh, well, I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't. It's like you're making yourself smaller. Yeah. You're um, underestimating the amount of space that you should be taking up. No. Reparations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you never let me get away with it. And I definitely have seen that shift in me since then. And because there's there's been years of my life, years of my life, especially. And I can mark exactly the moment when it happened. I had a really, really close friend when I was growing up in Long Beach and in fr- our freshman year in high school. That was around the time that everything kind of uh, went like pan-African and returned to Africa kind of resurfaced in the early 90s. Um, She, during that time when we're kind of dealing with our identities, she started to identify that way. And as she became more African, I was no longer black to her. And, um, And it ended our friendship because she was exploring herself. You know, she was exploring, you know, what was important to her. And up until then, she always acknowledged me as, as black or mixed black. You know, she spent time in my house with my dad and everything like that, but I wasn't black enough anymore during that time. And so that ended like a very close friendship. And that was pretty traumatic for me. And it also sent me into my own identity thing where it's just like, well, fuck, I've been black my whole life. Now, all of a sudden I'm not, you know, <laughs> like, you know, so I think that's kind of the marker of when I started to really I, I said it the other day, kind of uh, casually on one of my recordings of an episode that's not out yet, where I said I used to be a black girl that happened to be mixed. And now I'm a mixed woman who happens to be black. And I the the reason being is because my upbringing, my entire upbringing, no one ever told me I wasn't black until I was a, t- uh, a teenager. And now because people do see sort of the yellow brown skin first and then they see my facial features and then they then they acknowledge the blackness. The first question is now you're mixed, right? And then I know what they're asking. And so that was the start of me sort of being like, oh, maybe I'm not allowed to occupy this space sometimes or, or maybe it is more of a, a full black person issue than a mixed black person issue or something like that. And I know there are things about like I do have some light skin privilege. I do have some um, incognito-ness and stuff like that. I can I can get past some situations that darker skinned people can't. I understand all of that. And that's a totally a part of my own personal trauma and um, identity spirals on occasion. But like you, you're you're not not it's not even your acceptance. It's you're stopping me from not accepting myselfness that you have done that no other person has ever done quite the same way that you do. And, and it's just been, it's just been something that, that I didn't realize I needed or wanted until I started getting it. And then it was like, yeah, I'm black. Like I am, I just, I never not felt black. It's only when someone tries to point out that I'm not, that I have to think about it. And you don't do that for me. So you are, you are one of my prized black women that have had a huge impact on my life. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, I mean, the reality is you're never not black. So never not black. I mean, and so I under, and I mean, I understand we have things that we experience that kind of like shape 
our identities and stuff. And then two, a, a lot of times um, in so many cases, you know, other people try to dictate our identities and stuff like that. And so we have our processes we have to go through and our unpacking. And I mean, really, um, a part of that could just be I am the essentially like the polar opposite of your friend who was like, OK, well, hey, now you're not black enough. For right. us. I'm like the blackness colors everything. So you're just not you can't just not be black. Right. I and mean, like you, you know, understood lived experience. Yeah. You know, because I feel like if someone is white passing, then that's that's different that's to me different. because I'm like your life may or may not have been that of like a black person, you know, that come along with something the stuff that comes along with it. But that's just not the case for you. So right. that's why I'm like, I, I, yeah. So it's just crazy to me. But, um, but we all have those, you know, there are different ways that folks are going to attempt to try to invalidate us. And I mean, I went through my own and still go through mm-hmm. people trying to do that, but we are the authority on our identities. Yeah. So, yeah. And like with you, you understand nuance better than most people that I interact with. Like, um, my husband's a philosopher. Nuance is a very big part of his work. So, you know, he's someone that talks about nuance frequently. But like mm-hmm. the vast majority of my friendship or my social circle aren't really necessarily like this, where mm-hmm. you you understand nu- nuance, you understand intersectionalness. And and not only that, like just in regular conversation, not not like you're trying to educate, but just in regular conversation, you'll say some shit. And I'm like, fuck, now I got to think about this. Uh, because it makes me realize I wasn't detecting a nuance uh, or something like that. Right. Uh, which is great about having friends that, that can do this kind of stuff for you. But like there have been times when you say something and I got to get off the the phone or the Skype or whatever. And I'm walking around and and <laughs> Trees looking at me like, what now? What she do to you now? <laughs> like I was hey. like, hey, she got me. Okay, you know what? She got me thinking about. <laughs> OK, let me tell you, listeners, <laughs> if this if this was on video, I would look dead into the camera right now. OK. This will be the moment where I'm like, li- listeners, I'm talking to you. Look me in my eyeballs, okay? So as I'm doing these podcasts and I'm having people on who know me. So y'all know I just had my girl Imani on. And of course, Char- I mean, Charmaine has been on before, but mm. having her on again and stuff like that. As I'm doing these podcasts with people I know, I'm just learning some stuff about myself, apparently. And it's so funny to me because I'm like listening to it. I'm just like, dang, I I don't know. It's interesting to hear what I sound like as a friend. I'm going to have to. You got no work to do about it because I think, listen, I don't think that's the. I don't think it's bad, but it's just interesting to me because I feel like there are some <laughs> similar things that y'all have expressed in terms of the impact. And it's just very interesting to me that I just didn't think about. Yeah. So I'm learning things about myself. So that's why I'm like, listeners. <laughs> This is what happens. You do a damn podcast and then you have people on who know you and shit and they be talking about stuff <laughs> y'all done been through and get conversations y'all done had and all this kind of, mm-hmm. So then they be telling you about yourself on the air. <laughs> you know, so then your listeners know. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so I that's, mean, that's yeah, you, fu- you fuck me up sometimes, but in like the best way, because I come out of it with a whole new thing. I, you know, a whole new way. Like, I, I dig it. I, I don't care what you say. I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so interesting to me to hear. Um, but I just I mean, there's a reason why I'm not someone who calls everyone my friend or anything like that. But it's just when it comes to my people, I am like I am all about that. Go hard life. Like, yeah, I am absolutely down to ride. I'm down to fight. Um, do I need to bring weapons? <laughs> do, do I got a pack of lunch? How long like, is this going to happen? You, know, <laughs> um, you got a coat. I can bring an extra hoodie for you. Like what you need. Right. Uh, I'm just always down, like, as I say, down to ride. 
Um, but also I what I know about myself is that I'm very much an advocate, which is why I do the work I do. Like, that's why I have the career field I have, because I'm just about that life. I'm just like, yeah. what you're not going to do. <laughs> um, and sometimes you advocate when it comes to me, like for my friends, sometimes like I will advocate for them, like against their damn self. Sometimes if it's something if it's something that's like self-deprecating or I just feel like they're kind of underestimating themselves or minimizing or whatever. Um, even in my relationship, like that was one of the things earlier in me and Courtney's relationship. I'm like, don't dismiss how you feel. Hold up. Hold up. like back up you know that kind of thing so it's I don't know why that is my inclination but I do that with folks and I don't know and you're really consistent (laughs) too like it's a it's definitely you can tell actually calling yourself an advocate is a good that's a good way of describing you because you're very you're you're consistent in these things like even something that seems like a throwaway you know let's say I just say something like whatever throw away blah 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 and you're like whoa hold up rewind let's get back there's power in words there's something in that yeah there's power in the things that we say and the things that we write and all that that stuff matters and um it's like sometimes I'll think about the things that have impacted me and that stuck with me and I'm like I'm 30 years old I remember this thing this person said to me when I was six why do I you know what I mean like that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff I feel like sometimes we embody those things like if we say something negative about ourselves like I used to always say because this is what I thought was to be true I'm like oh I'm such a moody person oh and that's what I thought not knowing that no bitch you're depressed like you have depression this is a one of the ways to manifest you know but I didn't know that so I'm just like damn bitch you moody and there were things that came along with that there were uh, connotations that I associated with being quote unquote moody and I judged myself a a little bit or whatever not a little bit I judged myself and um, I was just like you gotta stop doing that shit like you know so I this conversation I have with like you know with folks is the same stuff I tell myself I check myself um, and I'm just like I don't because I feel like me putting that out only made me manifest it more. I'm just like, because I believe it so strongly about myself that I, it just really becomes, you know, me. And it's like, that, that ain't even you. So I'm not claiming that for myself. So it's kind of that kind of thing. Like, don't, I don't feel like we should claim these negative things for ourselves. Um, Sometimes it's just shit that's been perpetuated that we've taken on. Like we may not in our core, like really feel that way, but we're so used to thinking that way that we just think it's true. I second what you say. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll end on that note, even though to me, it's probably going to sound narcissistic because we're going to end with. You didn't do it. I did it. And I talked for a long time. So. So, um, but yeah, um, I definitely, you know, I could go on and on and on, um, naming folks, but you know, we're not going to do that. I do want to thank you, Charmaine, for being on with me, for just talking to me. This is like really, it really is just kind of like a glimpse into a regular ass conversation that we would have. So, um, it's not like, it's clearly not any kind of like script type situation. I'm just like, this is the the regular shit we talk about, but behind (laughs) the scenes. (laughs) Right. Um, But I I just think it's so important to acknowledge those folks who have impacted us. Um, You know, I'm I'm very grateful. Um, I'm grateful for you as well, Charmaine, um, for supporting me. And and it really don't, it's like, there's nothing that I've come to Charmaine with that she has like shot down. I don't care. I could just be like, yeah, I'm gonna do this thing. She'd be like, all right, you know. (laughs) This time where you're like, I'm not sure about this and I'm I'm just like, this is exactly what I want for you. So I'm just like, um, I'm going to just gonna throw stuff out there. And every time I throw something out there, she's like, yeah, when you want to start, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so just being supportive 
And of course, producing the show, but also being like a listener of the show, um, it's bomb. I mean, it's 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 a different kind of support, I think, because I know that, yes, she produces the show, but I know she actually like listens to it like a listener, not just like a producer. Yeah. Um, so that is meaningful to me because after all these months, you know, she could have been like, look, Heffa, I am tired of hearing you. <laughs> Let me just skim through and cut out your ums in your life. Because y'all didn't say um a lot. Clean this up. We use coughing and breathing and shit and keep it moving. No, it, I mean, it does something for me too. I mean, I'm, I'm all, like, it's, and at least, and maybe this is good for both of us that, you know, we're both queer women and, and we have, even though our lifestyles are different or our orientations are different. Um, I hated that. I just said lifestyle. I apologize. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, even though our orientations are different and, and the way way we live our lives are slightly different um knowing that we have that background for each other i think helps in our conversations too and and for the longest i didn't have i didn't have that group you know i didn't have other black queer women to bounce my shit off of like i just didn't and um having you regularly in my life now i know it was kind of spotty interactions when we first met or whatever but now that you're a regular part of my life i just i just know that you know my tribe is out there somewhere and i didn't have that before so we out here. I think I think we're good for it. I, I mean, I know that you've been good for me. I feel like as a team, we have we've come a long way in the oh, yeah. seven or eight months that we've been working on yeah. the shows together. And I couldn't imagine doing I couldn't imagine having a different partner from the jump because there's other people that I had planned to work with on things. But like you when you and I were ready, you and I were ready mm-hmm. and we just made it happen. And that was that's, that's how it go. That's been wonderful for me. So like I ain't trying to talk about it. Let's be about it. Right. It's about the action. <laughs> yep. Um, that could just be the Aries. I don't know. I'm like action. Let's do. Let's do. <laughs> enough talking. Um, even though I can talk listeners, y'all know. Um, but yeah, it's like I'm, I'm all about, you know, putting the action behind stuff. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad I was able to have you on to just, you know, talk about folks who've impacted us. Yeah, I think it's important. I want to do another episode that'll be kind of a an, uh, a nod to Black History Month, too. So y'all be on the lookout for that. But um, I honestly feel like BRQ is always pertinent for Black History because it's about our stories. It's about our history. So um, it matters. You know, we don't have to be some famous, iconic, whatever um, for the story to matter in the scheme of history, because we need all of our stories to exist to help those who are going to come after us. It helps to situate them in history. It's because of those people whose stories that we know now that we're able to feel some type of grounding and feel rooted in something that happened before us and not feel like some sort of anomaly in this Black radical queerness. Um, And so for, you know, my listeners, for my guests, for, you know, folks who are, you know, a a part of this, we are that for someone else. So I think that just by existing, uh, we are continuously uh, creating black history. So I don't feel like, you know, it's only something that's like a month type of thing. I mean, I'm black all the time. Um, but you know, we are also creating these stories and like creating history every single day. So um, thank you for, you know, listening to a little of my history, listening to the history of my guests. And, um, you know, I'm glad that you're able to kind of that's able to resonate with 
with the listeners and um, help you to kind of situate yourself in the grand scheme of this, because we are all we really are all black history, you know, all the black radical queer ass peoples. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So uh, <laughs> that's it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Black Radical Queer Podcast. As always, I'm appreciative. I see the steady growth. That is awesome. And I, she lying. It's hella growth. That's fast growth. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it really is awesome. And I'm very I'm excited to get more interactive with my listeners. I want to get to know you all. I want your stories on your terms <laughs> and I want for you, you know, to have more engagement. So Thank you for listening. And um, I appreciate all of my BRQ family. And um, yeah, tune in next time. I I look forward to kind of engaging with you all more and and as time goes on so we can be more connected and I can share your stories and we can keep getting to know each other. All right, y'all. It has been real black and real, real. (laughs) All right. I'm out. Black Radical Queer Podcast is all about intersectionality and Black queer folks sharing our stories on our own terms. We navigate an array of identities and BRQ is an outlet where we can see the spectrum of those identities reflected, explored, and celebrated. Black Radical Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javi Nicole, produced and edited by Charmaine Johnson. Music is by Publicity. You can find us on social media by looking up Black Rat Queer. It's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. We are on um, Facebook as well as Instagram and Twitter. Same handle regardless at Black Rat Queer. B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. We also have a Facebook discussion group that's just called BRQ Discussion Group. And you can also listen wherever you get your podcast. So we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, Google Play, you know, all those types of things. And we have, you know, our home base that's on Lipson. So you can listen on there as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Make sure you come on back around next week to see uh, what we have for you and... All right, y'all, I'm out. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.